It is Thursday, December 10th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Week 14 Preview Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And whether you are in the playoffs, trying to get in the playoffs, or just enjoying the fact that you already have a bye locked up, it is serious time in the fantasy football schedule. Jared, we're back to a normal week. No COVID-pushed games this week, so we're starting Thursday night. We've got the Patriots at the Rams. Rams by five, which is down one from the open, over under 45. I mean, a couple weeks ago, this might have looked lopsided, but the Patriots seem like they've rebound over the past two weeks. We'll see tonight whether that's the case or whether they just faced two struggling teams in the Cardinals and Chargers. Yeah, I'm excited to watch this game from like a real-life perspective. I, mean, I, I just look back to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, and I, I know it was a couple of years ago. Patriots defense isn't as good. It has played better lately, though. But, I mean, you know, that, that was a, a slog fest of a game. Um, I kind of expect the same thing here. I mean, it has the low over under it, 44 and a half. Um, I think, you know, both defenses are better than both offenses right now, so not a super exciting fantasy game. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, on offense for the Patriots, Cam Newton scored twice last week, threw a touchdown pass, but he has also fallen short of 85 passing yards in two straight games. The Rams are better than either of those last two defenses that he faced. So Cam Newton's well outside the top 12, I think. Yeah, so do I. I mean, I I think you, you can't expect much from him in the passing game in this matchup. I mean, he, he can do it on the ground as he's shown. Um, but, you know, with the Patriots having a low implied total, I'm not – really going to bank on cam scoring you know multiple rushing touchdowns or even one rushing touchdown so he's a guy i would try not to use this week yeah jacoby myers kind of similar he remains the best target bet for the patriots he saw six of the team's 22 attempts last week but it's just too bad a pass offense for jacoby myers to be a comfy starter maybe there's more passing volume if they're actually trailing in this one they had 22 attempts or fewer in each of their past three wins 40 attempts in their loss to Houston and 35 in that comeback win over the Jets. So, I mean, if we get to 35 to 40 pass attempts against the Rams, it could be a decent spot for Myers, but just three, six, and six targets in his past three games. Yeah, I also expect him to see a good deal of Jalen Ramsey. You know, Myers has been playing about half of the snaps on the outside anyways. Ramsey has traveled to the slot on occasion, so it's a tough matchup for Myers. Yeah, Demir Bird has flashed a couple times in that stretch as well. Seven plus targets in three of his past five games, but zero in three targets in the other two. Three or fewer catches under 35 yards in three of his past four games. So no thanks for me on Demir Bird. No thanks. Damian Harris's matchup isn't great. Rams are allowing 3.9 yards per carry to running backs on the season. No running back has reached 50 yards against them since week six. Yeah, tough matchup. Um, you know, Harris continues to look good, though. He has 14-plus carries in five of his last six games. Um, you know, Sonny Michelle popped up last week, but that was mostly in garbage time in that Chargers game. So I still think Harris is a good volume bet. He's like, he's like the only guy I'd feel okay about starting on the Patriots tonight. I would feel better about him if Cam Newton weren't their lead running back. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's still on the goal line stuff, but again, you know, Harris has gotten 14-plus carries in most of these past uh, six games now. Yeah. On the Rams side, I'm wary of Jared Goff after the Patriots shut down Kyler Murray and Justin Herbert the past two weeks. Before that, though, Deshaun Watson had 344 passing yards, three total touchdowns against New England. Lamar Jackson threw for 249 and two, ran for 55 yards. Joe Flacco had 262 and three against them. I mean, most all of that was without Stephon Gilmore in the lineup. Not sure that one player makes all the difference. I would play Jared Goff over Derek Carr. Teddy Bridgewater, Cam Newton, Mitchell Trubisky, but he doesn't get as high as Philip Rivers, Kyler Murray, or Matthew Stafford. 
I'm telling you, I'm freaked out by that Super Bowl. I mean, you know, Belichick definitely figured out the Rams' offense in that game. You know, we'll we'll see if McVay makes adjustments on the other side here. I I do think you know just based on the eye test, New England's defense has played better the past couple of weeks. So uh, yeah, I mean, Goff. I mean, we can agree that Goff is outside quarterback one territory this week. Hopefully, you can find a better option. Uh, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, I think pretty comfortably in starter territory though. Josh Reynolds, uh, three straight games of 40 yards or less, and last week he fell to. 46% playing time. That followed seven straight weeks over 70%. Van Jefferson passed Josh Reynolds in playing time for the first time all season. Yep. So you can't use Josh Reynolds. I'm still not trusting Van Jefferson. I wouldn't be surprised if it, you know, switches back in Reynolds' favor tonight. But um, you know, maybe for your um, single game DFS contest, Van Jefferson might have some you know sleeper appeal. It's kind of nice to me to not have to consider whether to play Josh Reynolds this week because he's been yeah. kind of a pain to figure out in recent weeks. So after what happened to him last week, I'm totally off. Yep. Backfield Cam Akers finally turned to the lead ball carrier last week. 21 carries against the Cardinals, just 72 yards. Not great efficiency, but we like the the volume. Touchdowns in three straight games for Cam Akers as well. So he's inside starter territory overall this week. Yeah, so Daryl Henderson did miss like about a quarter of that game with a knee issue. Maybe that limited him the rest of the way. I'm not sure, but I, I you know, I I think Cam Akers is going to remain the lead back here. I think it's going to, you know, Henderson and Malcolm Brown are going to remain involved. Um, the nice thing about Akers too, he only saw one target last week, but he ran a season high route rate of 51. percent You know, he ran more routes than Malcolm Brown. And Brown had been the clear pass catching back for the Rams, so you know that that um, raises Akers' floor. But even though he saw one target last week, I think you know we might get, you know, two, three, four targets out of him tonight. Yeah, it'd be nice if we could project that instead of just hoping it's there, though. We still only seen four targets on the season, so certainly yeah. downside risk. I think there's more risk to Akers in a PPR format, but it, it was at least a step in the right direction. He's a, a solid option for a lot of teams at this point. Definitely. Kansas City Chiefs at Miami Dolphins. The Chiefs by seven and a half in this one, over under a 49 and a half. Dolphins are the number six pass defense DVOA. Uh, higher than any other pass defense that the Chiefs have faced this year. You're obviously starting your key Chiefs passing game pieces regardless, but I wouldn't be surprised if Kansas City leans a bit more toward the run this week than we've gotten used to. That'd be nice. Um, I, I'd be inclined to go back to Clyde Edwards-Alaire. You know, hopefully you, you got him out of lineups last week. We got the report from Jake Glazer on Sunday morning that you know Le'Veon Bell is going to play a bigger role. Clyde Edwards-Alaire was a full go in practice on Wednesday. Um, so I think he'll be back as the lead back here. You know, Miami's defense much worse against the run than the pass. So, you know, th- we've seen the downside with CEH, but I said, you know, there, there's always two touchdown upside with him in this offense. Yeah. Uh, and Le'Veon Bell didn't really capitalize on his opportunity last week either. Just 40 yards on his 11 rushes, two catches for 15 on three targets. CEH doubled Bell and carries each of the previous two games. So it should be his job assuming that he's back to full health this week. Dolphins allowed 86 total yards to Frank Gore in week 12. They allowed Melvin Gordon and Phillip Lindsay to each top 80 rushing yards in week 11. Before that, 102 total yards for Kalen Balazs. So it's definitely an upside spot for Clyde Edwards-Elaire, whatever touches he gets. Um, Bell just seven, eight, and five touches in the past three games that Clyde Edwards-Elaire played in. Yeah, uh, the other fringy guy in the Chiefs, I'm going to keep going back to Sammy Watkins, like as like at least like a wide receiver four with with a high ceiling, um, seven and six targets in Watkins, two games back from injury. Um, he's run about half of his routes in the slot, too, which is, you know, where we want to attack Miami. So I, I still think Watkins getting that type of usage in this offense makes sense. Yeah, I mean, six targets plus Patrick Mahomes is a fantasy option, regardless of what the name of that guy is. Yep. 
On the Dolphins' side, it's also an upside spot for a running back. Melvin Gordon ran for 131 on the Chiefs last week. Ronald Jones had 103 total yards and a receiving touchdown the week before that, even though he only carried nine times. Miles Gaskin returned last week and dominated the backfield. 21 of 25 running back carries. Just two targets were a season low, but uh, saw a lot of action inside the 10-yard line. He did, yeah. Frustratingly, didn't score in any of those. Um, yeah, the, the passing game usage was down a bit. Only ran around on 48% of the dropbacks. But he had also averaged nearly five targets per game in his previous five games before the injury. So I, I think now, you know, his second game back, he'll get a bigger role in the passing game, which will be important in this game and Miami likely to be trailing. But, you know, just based on volume, I think Gaskin is a really nice RB2 play this week. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of, it's kind of silly how easy it is to like Miles Gaskin in week 14 of fantasy. Yeah. Devontae Parker, start. the targets were still fine last week with Tua Tangavailoa back in the lineup, but his eight targets came among 39 attempts. He trailed Mike Jasucki in that by three, just two ahead of Jakeem Grant. Caught four of them for 35 yards against the Bengals. Yep. Uh, Devontae Parker is undeniably worse off with Tua in the lineup than he is with Ryan Fitzpatrick. So uh, for me, Parker's no more than a wide receiver three this week. Yeah, Parker now averaging 3.8 catches and 39 yards per game in Tua's five starts. The Chiefs pretty strong against wide receivers. They're seventh in adjusted points allowed at the position. So yeah, um, wide receiver three at best for Devontae Parker this week. And, I mean, you might think that it's silly of me to keep calling him Mike Jasucki after he had a big game last week, but that was his second game all year with more than six targets. He's had one other game with six targets. The Chiefs are a positive matchup for tight ends on the year, but Mike Jasucki is not a tight end. He's a slot receiver. The past two weeks have seen his highest snap counts as an outside receiver. So he's not. they're even like moving him farther away from being a tight end at this point. Chiefs are a tougher matchup for wideouts than they are for tight ends. I mean – can he produce this week? Of course, that's possible, yep. but it's not necessarily as good a spot as it might seem for Jacecki. Yeah, I mean, I would say just remember that in Tua's first four starts, he averaged four targets, 2.5 catches, 33 yards per game with no touchdowns. So, I mean, we, we saw the ceiling that exists, but I'm, I'm, I'm still just not excited about this passing game with Tua under center right now. Yeah, I agree. Anything else in that game? Nope. Houston Texans at Chicago Bears. Texans by one. It's down one from where it opened. Over under a 45. Also doesn't look like a great fantasy spot, but the Bears gave up a lot of yardage to the Lions last week. Sean Watson finished QB 12, meanwhile, in a tough matchup of his own against the Colts in the first game since the Will Fuller suspension. Threw for 341. Ran for a touchdown in that game. I think he's still pretty comfortably inside starter territory in this matchup. Yeah, I mean, Watson looks a lot better this week you know, than I, I thought he was going to you know, a week ago after seeing what he did against the Colts. Um, you know, he didn't throw a passing touchdown. He ran for one, but he completed 68% of his passes, averaged 9.0 yards per attempt. Again, you know, against a pretty good Colts pass defense. Um, and yeah, like you said, Chicago just gave up the big one to Matthew Stafford. Even before that, they gave up 292 yards and two scores to Kirk Cousins, four touchdowns, Aaron Rodgers. So it, again, it looks like a better spot. For Watson now, if he's been your guy all season, I would feel fine sticking with him this week. Yeah, I think it's a solid to good defense overall still, but a bit more vulnerable at cornerback than they might have been in other recent seasons. And Deshaun Watson did it last week, obviously with no Will Fuller, but also Brandon Cooks left for a stretch for a concussion check. Fortunately, came back from that, so he didn't have a concussion there, which would be particularly worrisome for him given his history. Yeah. Um, eight targets, five for 65 in that game. Chad Hansen and Kiki <laughs> Cutie. Each went over 100 receiving yards in that game. Uh, Chad Hansen completely out of nowhere. I mean, we've heard of him, but he couldn't stick with the Jets. So I'm certainly not going to bet on Chad Hansen repeating this week. Anything's possible in 2020, 
but I'm not going to have Chad Hansen in fantasy lineups. No, I'm not going to have Hansen in fantasy lineups. I, I would feel fine having Kiki Cutie in fantasy lineups. Um, nine targets, 24% target share, ran her out on 84% of Watson's dropbacks. And Kiki, you know, he had been a short range receiver for his entire career before last week. He played something close to Will Fuller's role. And it, it, it wasn't the Will Fuller role because Kiki's still running out of the slot, but he, he ran, he had a 13.4 yard average depth of target last week. That's a 10th of a yard higher than what Fuller had in the first two weeks and uh, the first, sorry, the first 12 weeks of the season. Um, so, you know, Kiki does um, have more big playability than we probably thought he was going to you know, heading into last week. And gets Buster Screen in the slot this week for the Bears. So that's certainly an exploitable spot. So I agree. I'm playing Kiki Cutie this week in wide receiver three range. David Johnson returned from his concussion for just 10 carries, two targets against the Colts last week, his second lowest snap share of the season. The Houston Chronicle reports, though, that the Texans expect to grow that role this week. Um, Johnson had 13 plus carries in each of his previous five healthy games. Uh, Not a terrific bet but I think he fits fairly easily into the RB2 landscape this week. Yeah, I think lower end RB2. I mean, I, I guess I buy that his um, role will increase in the second game back here, but, you know, still still a tough Bears defense, fourth and adjusted points allowed to running back. So not, not a ton of upside to David Johnson. Yeah, that's for sure. Duke Johnson saw six targets last week, even with David Johnson back. That was a season high, though, four, five, and one in the previous three games, even without David Johnson on the field. So expect him to come back down from that. Not a real fantasy option. Not a fantasy option. I do wonder if that'll continue, though, if they'll use Duke more in the passing game with uh, Will Fuller up. I would hope that a report of David Johnson getting more work means passing game as well. And if it doesn't, then I'm not sure Houston understands what David Johnson does. All right. Jordan Aikens, by the way, just two catches for 10 yards on three targets in the negative matchup with the Colts last week. We knew there was downside to that one. Did see his largest snap share, though, and snap total since week two. It's a better spot for him this week, at least, against Chicago than it was against the Colts, but still a crowded situation. Yeah, well, Aikens back up to a 74% route rate last week. Um, Darren Fells at just 24%. Kahali Waring at 12%. Farrah Brown ran like a couple routes only. So, you know, if that type of usage stays for Aikens, you know, he's, he's back on the spot set radar. And as we've said all season, you know, the bears are weaker against tight ends and they are against wide receivers. So a, a decent spot for Aikens this week. Yeah. I would say Aikens is a boom bust play. I might take a shot on him over Austin Hooper. Like that's down like the bottom half of tight end two territory. Yeah. That's not crazy. I mean, Aikens usage was better than Hooper's last week. On the Bears side, another upside passing matchup for Mitchell Trubisky. He was pretty good last week, 76.5% completions, just 267 yards, one touchdown. David Montgomery scored two other touchdowns. Um, And it's another terrific spot for Montgomery this week, so that might limit the ceiling on Trubisky. Yeah, it might. I mean, it's a good matchup for Trubisky, too, in the passing game. You know, Houston 25th in Football Outsiders pass team. That's with Bradley Roby for most of the season, their top corner who's now out. So, you know, Trubisky doesn't reach quarterback one territory for us. It's a pretty strong weak quarterback. But, you know, in two quarterback leagues, I think he's he's a nice play again this week. And he does have the upside to finish in QB1 territory, especially sure. if Houston does take the lead in this game. For me, the biggest issue with Trubisky, I mean, other than him just being wildly volatile, the rushing production hasn't showed up yet this year. He has just two games of 20 plus yards um, so far this season. He had 26 rushing yards back in the opener, 45 yards on the ground against Atlanta. That all came on a single run, though. His four full games have only seen him run three, four, three, and three times. Sad. Yeah. Allen Robinson's the only trustworthy pass catcher, I think, for fantasy lineups among Bears. It's an upside spot for him and everybody else in the passing game, but. Anthony Miller, Darnell Mooney, Cole Komet, really not options for me outside of DFS. 
Yeah, Komet's interesting. I mean, he, he's definitely overtaken Jimmy Graham. He saw seven targets last week. He still only ran a route, though, on 53% of Trubisky's dropbacks. That was down from 68% the previous week. You know, it was it was pretty close last week between Komet and Jimmy Graham. So, yeah, um, I, I'm with you. A cheap DFS option, I think you can do better in season long. Like, I, I would prefer Jordan Akins over Komet in this game. If we're if if this if this was week five or week six, I'd be fine with taking a shot on Cole Komet at this yeah. point in the season. I feel better about even like Jordan Akins, who we have more of a record of and yeah. more of a record of his quarterback succeeding. So I, I like that bet better than betting on Cole Komet right now. Yep, agreed. Anything else in that game? No, David Montgomery top eight fantasy back this week. Yep, not even worth talking about. He's such an easy play this week. Yep. Arizona Cardinals at the New York Giants. Cardinals by one and a half, but that's down one from where it was. Still a little disrespectful to a Giants team that beat the Seahawks on the road last week. Over mm-hmm. under 45, though, not an exciting fantasy spot. Kyler Murray, here we are, week 14. He goes from heading down a path to record-setting fantasy scores to being outside our top 12 in week 14, and I think it's totally justified. He finished QB 17 and QB 25 the past two weeks. Yeah, I mean, it's a convergence convergence of Kyler's production dipping, and there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, his average depth of target is down from 8.2 yards to 6.7 over the last three weeks since he's been dealing with that shoulder injury. Yards per attempt down from 7.6 to 5.3. And the the biggest thing, obviously, is the rushing. Um, He averaged 67 yards and a little over a touchdown per game in his first uh, nine games, just 20 yards with zero touchdowns over the last three. So that's a problem. And then the Giants' defense is playing better as well. Even before... Um, holding Russ Wilson to just one touchdown last week. They had allowed only two passing touchdowns over their previous three games. So, you know, I'm not going to say it's like a, a matchup to run away from, but it's at least like a neutral matchup. So um, Kyler hasn't finished as a quarterback one the past two weeks. I'm not counting on him doing it this week. And for the season, the Giants have allowed the fourth fewest um, quarterback fantasy points, 1.4 total touchdowns per game two quarterbacks and just three total touchdowns over the past four games. So it's definitely not a positive matchup. Um, And the the other part of the passing game is that DeAndre Hopkins gets a bad matchup for this one. He gets James Bradbury in what I'm sure will be shadow coverage. Hopkins coming into this game is wide receiver 30 in PPR points per game over the past week, past five weeks. And even that rate is boosted by the Hale Murray catch at the end of the Bills game. Yeah, I mean, I think in this matchup with Kyler struggling, I think you downgrade DeAndre Hopkins to a wide receiver too. Um, you know, he does still have 28 targets over his last three games, so the volume has still been there. He can beat James Bradbury. I mean, it's DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, I'm not, I'm not benching him in most situations, but he's, you know, he's definitely not the top five play he was earlier this season. Yeah, if I were writing a start sit column, I would not put Hopkins in the sit area, but I can actually see the possibility of having three wide receivers that I like better than DeAndre Hopkins available on my roster this week. He'd probably be around, I don't know, 25 to 28 in my wide receiver rankings this week. Yeah. I mean, he's like 15 to 20 for me, but yeah, it's definitely possible. You have three better options. The tough individual matchup for Hopkins adds some upside to Christian Kirk, but he hasn't seen any boost in targets lately while DeAndre Hopkins has not been producing. He's knows he's seen no, um, good production lately. So there's not really a reason to bet on Christian Kirk this week, unless you just think Arizona is not going to try to throw the ball to Hopkins. And the past few weeks doesn't show us that that's going to be the case, regardless of the matchup. So uh, there's some upside to Christian Kirk, but I, I can't say that I'm particularly interested. 
Yeah, and we did see Kirk capitalize on those plus matchups earlier this season. You know, he had a string of like three or four good games in a row in plus matchups. You know, that's when Kyler Murray was healthy and playing better. So, you know, um, Kirk has 2.7 catches, 24 scoreless yards um, is what he's averaging over the last three games. So, you know, at this point of the fantasy season, he's he's not a guy I want to be banking on. Dan Arnold's two TD game was cute <laughs> last week, but it came on two catches, not somebody that I'm going to be using. No. Anything else in that game? You know, backfield usage remains the same. Um, you know, Drake, Drake's just started scoring touchdowns. That's really the only difference. He, he's still, you know, losing passing down work to Chase Edmonds. So, you know, Drake Drake is a you know RB two who's going to help you if he scores. If not, you know, it's probably going to be kind of ugly. Yeah, and I said that game, but of course we didn't do the Giants side yet. Uh, Kenyon Drake, I do think it's a good spot for rushing volume for him. I don't think that these Giants are going to pull away, especially with Daniel Jones at less than 100%. But let's get to that Giants side now. Daniel Jones seems like he's trending toward returning from the hamstring injury this week. Uh, Missed just one game. We'll see about his practice participation Thursday and Friday. It's a fine matchup for him, but I'd be scared to use Daniel Jones coming off that hamstring injury because his fantasy value relies fairly heavily on his ability to run. Exactly. That's just what I was going to say. Um, you know, if he's at all limited with his rushing ability, you know, he, he's not a appealing fantasy play. And I mean, of course his propensity for rushing only increases the chances that he tweaks that hamstring again, uh, even right. if he is ready to play in this game. I do think that Daniel Jones, if he does return, that would be good for Sterling Shepard, good for Evan Ingram. I'm not paying attention to any other Giants receivers, though, in this game. No, um, PFF projects Patrick Peterson to shadow Darius Slayton, which I think makes sense. Um, Sterling Shepard, his last four games with Daniel Jones, eight targets per game, six and a half catches, 55 yards. So he's a nice play in PPR, at least. Then Evan Ingram's just you know been one of the best target bets at tight end all season. So he's a, he's an easy starter. Mm-hmm. Wayne Gallman entered last week riding a wave of touchdown luck, but... Uh, He didn't need that against Seattle. He didn't score, and he delivered his best rushing performance of the season, 16 carries, 135 yards. The 60-yard run boosted that through a nice-size hole, but otherwise he had two other runs of 10-plus yards. He had another run of nine yards, so it was just a good game for Gallman and the rush offense. Giants are still just 24th in adjusted line yards, and the Cardinals rank slightly above average in uh, rush defense DVOA just behind the Seahawks. So Wayne Gallman's a starter this week but I wouldn't go putting him like top 12 off of last week's game. No, I wouldn't either. Um, I mean, he, he you know, did better last week than I expected him to. He's getting the volume. He, he's playing well. Um, PFF has him 11th in rushing grades among 53 qualifying running backs since week eight, you know, since Gallman took over as the lead back. He's still doing basically nothing in the passing game, averaging just 1.2 catches on two targets per game over the last five. So you know, he, he's, a, he's a two down back. Um, but I expect this game to remain close enough where, you know, he's probably going to get 15 plus carries again. And he, clearly his performance has surprised even the Giants because otherwise they wouldn't have signed Deion Lewis or given Devontae Freeman the backfield. Or signed Alfred Morris. Minnesota Vikings at Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Bucks by six and a half, over under 51 and a half. It's a good matchup for Kirk Cousins because it's a bad matchup for Dalvin Cook this week. The Bucks remain the league's top run defense. They're allowing 3.0 yards per carry two running backs. No running back has reached 60 yards against them. And only Christian McCaffrey had way back in week two has reached 50 yards among running backs against the Bucks. Cousins sixth among quarterbacks in points in fantasy points per game over the past five weeks. I like Cousins over Ben Roethlisberger, Taysom Hill, Ryan Tannehill this week. I would probably play Kirk Cousins over Deshaun Watson. 
My only concern with Cousins is just the fact that Minnesota's implied total is so low, 22 and a half, 12th lowest on the week. Like, you know, last week they had the high implied total, so it was easy to say, you know, Cousins can throw multiple touchdowns here. I, I, I do like the matchup, though. I mean, I think Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson um, should have their way with this Bucks secondary. And as you mentioned, with Tampa being so good against the run, um, teams know that. Teams are throwing against the Bucks in neutral situations at 62, uh, 62% rate. That's the highest in the NFL. So, you know, if there's ever a game for Minnesota to come out throwing more, um, this is it. And I, you know, I hope they're smart, smart enough to do that. Yeah. And I mean, we've already seen the chargers go there and have passing success. We've seen the Rams go there and have passing success. I think Kirk Cousins is at least on that kind of level with a rookie, Justin Herbert and with Jared Goff in terms of, you know, reliability as a passer. Yep. Agree. I mean, I think he's a top 12 play this week. Mm-hmm. Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson are both every week starters at this point. Kyle Rudolph, could be a top 12 option if Irv Smith's out again, but both of the guys were out of practice on Wednesday. Smith's still dealing with the back issue that cost him the past two games. Uh, Kyle Rudolph's got a new foot issue. Yeah, and it sounds like there's no official report from the Vikings yet, but it sounds like Rudolph was out again Thursday and Irv Smith was back at practice. So, you know, we, we, might, we might be flipping to Irv Smith now as a top 12 tight end play if he plays and Rudolph does not. I don't think I could put Irv Smith in the top 12 coming off two straight missed games and I don't know. And, and Kyle Rudolph not producing last week. I don't know. That the combo would probably put him more like 15-16 for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess we'll see if, you know, Irv is limited Thursday and limited Friday listed as questionable. It'd be a bigger concern if he gets in a full practice either the next two days. I, I feel okay by using him. I mean, we liked Rudolph in that exact mm-hmm. same spot. I still think Smith is a bigger talent at this point. Yeah, certainly an upside spot, certainly an upside spot for passing volume. So it, it would definitely at the very least be a high ceiling spot for Irv Smith. On yep. the Bucks side, starting everybody in consideration. I mean, Tom Brady over Kirk Cousins for me because the Vikings have no pass rush and the Bucks do have a pass rush. So I think Tom Brady is a little bit safer. Maybe Kirk Cousins has a higher ceiling. I'm not sure. But both of those guys are comfortably inside the top 12. Yeah, and, you know, the the numbers still say the Vikings pasty is pretty good. But I don't know. I look at, you know, Mike Evans, Chris Goblin, Antonio Brown against – Cameron Dantzler, Chris Boyd, and Jeff Glad. You know, like, you know, give me the Bucks wide receivers in that matchup. I think Rob Gronkowski is in a pretty good spot. The Vikings lost Eric Kendricks in what pregame warmups last week. Seems like he's gonna miss this game, so that boosts Gronk's upside. Um, and, and Tom Brady, I still have my concerns about him. He didn't play well in that last game against the Chiefs. He still had 345 yards and three touchdowns, just because his receivers are so freaking good. So I, I'd feel I'd feel good with Brady as my quarterback one this week. Yeah, I think this could just be an overall fantasy bonanza where there are lots of points on both sides. There's plenty of passing. There's plenty of bucks rushing. It just seems like it can support lots of guys in this game. Um, Antonio Brown's easily the last bucks receiver into my lineup, but he's even still at the bottom of wide receiver three territory. Yeah, 29 targets for Brown in his four games for the Bucks so far. That's not a bad number. He actually he actually has more areas than Chris Godwin over that span. His usage hasn't been too far off from Chris Godwin. So you know, it hasn't happened for Brown yet, but I, I still think um, – there's a chance he has a big game or two down the stretch here. The Bucs have three nice passing matchups coming up the next three weeks. Ronald Jones's volume stunk the past two weeks. Ten carries, nine carries, three total targets over that span. But two productive outings among those three games. Big game against Carolina, 103 total yards against the Chiefs last time out, including a long uh, catch-and-run touchdown. It's a better matchup this week, not only because the Minnesota defense is 17th in rushing DVOA, but I think there's also a better likelihood that his team leads this game. Right, Bucks favored by six and a half points. Bruce Arians said during the bye, Ronald Jones quote needs to have twenty touches. You know, it's, it's Bruce Arians, so um, you know. But but Rojo, he, he has seventy percent of Tampa's running back carries over the past three games. The bigger problem is they just haven't run it 
a whole lot. So if they are playing with the lead here, I think we'll get, you know, 15 carries out of Jones. I'm not going to go as far as Bruce Arians, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, I don't buy Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians doesn't know numbers so much, but he knows a little bit about football. So I'm going to assume he gives Ronald Jones opportunities here. Me too. Tennessee Titans at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Titans by seven and a half, over under a 52 and a half. Start all your Titans in this game. Tough to bet on any tight end. We'll see who's healthy at that position. But I mean, otherwise, uh, it's easy to trust the rest of the Tennessee options. Yeah, Jonu Smith back to a limited practice on Wednesday. I mean, if he is back this week, I think you still got to play him over Anthony Ferkser, but I think Jonu would remain outside our top 12. He's just, you know, been invisible really for the past month now. Yeah, surprisingly so after the way he started the season. Um, on the Jacksonville side, other than James Robinson, I'm really only considering, and even that might be a strong word, a couple of the wideouts. DJ Chark led the team in targets in his return last week, clear leader among that group in playing time. Um, so he's easily my Jaguars leader if I'm looking for a wide receiver here. Wide receiver three level, though. Mike Glenn yeah. is just not that good. He reminded us of that with two picks at Minnesota last week. So DJ Chark, an okay option. Behind him, Keelan Cole was actually second on the team in routes among wideouts last week. Um, just two targets against Minnesota. But he would be my next option if I'm looking down in like wide receiver five range. Yeah, it's still Lynn Cole over uh, Colin Johnson, who had another solid game last week. But really, I wouldn't want to start Cole over Colin Johnson. I agree. I think Chark is still in the wide receiver three mix. He still has upside. Um, 92% routes last week, seven targets, 132 air yards. All those marks led Jags wide receivers. And this Tennessee defense is bad. Um, you know, They're 30th in adjusted points allowed to wide receivers. So you know, there's definitely upside to Chark. I like him as a DFS player. I'll probably be talking about him as a tournament play tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, just know that if you do use Chark, you could get anything from three catches for 22 yards to seven for 150 and two touchdowns. Yes. Uh, anything else from that game? No, I wrote, I wrote up Tyler Eifert. Um, he's kind of on the fringe if you're super desperate. He has nine catches on 10 targets over the last two games with Mike Lennon, and the Titans are bad against tight ends. You know, he, he'd be behind like Jordan Akins and, and Cole Komet for me, but if you're, if you're desperate. Yeah, I mean, certainly makes sense in that range. If you're looking in that range – don't break it down too much. Try throwing a dart and picking somebody. Exactly. Dallas Cowboys at the Cincinnati Bengals. Cowboys are three and a half point favorites over under a 42. Andy Dalton revenge game in Cincinnati, I think. What do you think? <laughs> Could be. I mean, he's, he's still played. I mean, that offense did more in Baltimore than I thought it was going to. Um, obviously, a much better matchup now. I mean, I mean, Dalton's a two-quarterback league play. You shouldn't be needing him as a quarterback one. Yeah, unfortunately, the revenge game angle doesn't really matter. He's finished QB 18, QB 21, QB 14 the past three weeks. That QB 14 came with the three touchdown passes at Minnesota. He only threw for 203 yards in that game. So uh, if you're searching in QB 2 range, then certainly fine to use Andy Dalton. But nothing beyond that or DFS. Amari Cooper is a fairly easy start. Pretty impressive production for him since Dak Prescott went down. I I think, I mean, I'd still rank them Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup. I think even Gallup is back in play now. He has 24 targets over the last three games with Andy Dalton. That is tied with Amari Cooper for the team high. Um, C.D. Lamb's a couple behind at, at 22. So um, yeah, I think you know, Cooper's like a wide receiver two for me, and I think um, Gallup and Lamb are both wide receiver three plays in this plus matchup. This is like the dollar general version of the Bucks wide receivers where they're all <laughs> in consideration. It just all starts much lower. Um, I, I agree with you that, the, that they're all in play. C.D. Lamb has become a low-efficiency touchdown-reliant guy. There, He's getting a good number of targets, but he's averaging 8.8 yards per catch since Dak Prescott went down 6.7 yards per catch 
over the past three games. He's Juju Smith-Schuster uh, with less than Ben Roethlisberger throwing to him. The matchup, I think, does break ties between CeeDee Lamb and other guys in that range that you're considering, but certainly not a guy to get excited about, I think. Yeah, and he doesn't have the upside that he had with Dak Prescott, but I, I still think he's like a safe bet for four to six catches in this game. Dalton Schultz, speaking of safe bet for four to six catches, a floor play at tight end. He's averaging 4.9 receptions per game since Blake Jarwin went down in games where a quarterback did not leave with an injury. Yeah, he, he's, he's a floor play, uh, maybe a bit more ceiling this week. The Bengals 27th in adjusted points allowed to tight ends. Uh, it's also nice to have a game at this point in the season, finally, where we can feel fairly comfortable starting Zeke Elliott. 18 carries for 77 yards and six targets against the Ravens on Tuesday night. The Bengals are so bad that they are home underdogs to a 3-9 and nine Dallas team, not particularly good at anything on defense. Yeah, I mean, the matchup is good enough for your starting Zeke. It was nice to see him get the six targets last week, too. Um, his route rate was still under 50%, um, but you know if he can get a handful of targets per game going forward, that definitely helps. Uh, the Dallas defense might be even worse than Cincinnati's, though. The question here is whether that matters. The Bengals have fallen short of 200 total yards in each of Brandon Allen's two starts so far. Not easy matchups against the Giants and Dolphins, but still, I mean, less than 200 total yards is just anemic. It's the kind of thing that makes nobody on your offense an actual good bet. Yeah, I mean, T. Higgins has somehow managed to have two decent games over the past two weeks. Um, you know, Tyler Boyd had the long touchdown before getting ejected. Boyd, Boyd has a nice matchup here against uh, slot corner Jordan Lewis, who's in the bottom 15 in PFF's coverage grades. But, I, man, I still just don't trust it with the quarterback play they're getting right now. T. Higgins also dealing with a hamstring issue this week, limited Wednesday. So, I mean, doesn't seem likely to keep him out, but it's just one of those other marks against him beyond the QB issue. But I agree. It's been impressive so far. 13 targets, 10 catches over the two Brandon Allen games. I would prefer not to use any Bengals pass catcher. Gio Bernard, he's in consideration because the matchup is just so good. Dallas is the second friendliest running back defense in the league. I mean, Otherwise, that's what saves Gio Bernard from being like RB32 in our rankings. Yeah, and Dallas's run D has really been bad over the past few weeks now. 5.9 yards per carry allowed over the past three. I mean, they did just play Baltimore, which is, is going to hurt that. But yeah, I mean, Gio, he at least has 20 of the 25 RB carries over the last two games now. So he's not losing as much to Samaj P. Ryan and Trayvon Williams as he was for a few games there. Still only five targets over the last two. I wish that number would climb. Um, yeah, I think the matchup makes Gio an RB3 or flex play. And if we're going to talk about Tyler Eifert, I mean, anybody who's really needy at tight end, Drew Stample has caught 11 passes over the past two games. Yep, and a good matchup against Dallas. Football Outsiders has them 31st in tight end coverage. So, you know, flip a coin between Drew Sample and Tyler Eifert if you're hurting that bad. <laughs> and then go take a shower because that's filthy. <laughs> Denver Broncos at Carolina Panthers. Panthers by three and a half over under a 47. Melvin Gordon, probably for the first time all season, I'm definitely starting. Had a hundred, went over 100 yards last week against the Chiefs, second time this year. It was the second time among the past three games that he saw 15 carries and topped 80 rushing yards. The Broncos held the Dolphins to 20 points, held the Chiefs to 22 points. So this one against the Panthers at least shouldn't be a blowout. Yeah, especially with uh, Carolina's wide receiver issues, which we can talk about. But, um, I mean, Mel Melvin Gordon's still in a committee with Philip Lindsay. I mean, if you look at the last four games, 53 carries for Gordon to 43 for Lindsay. Gordon also just has one catch on four targets over the past four games. You know, the, the Denver's just not using their running backs in the passing game at all. It's probably because Drew Locke just wants to chuck it 50 yards downfield every time he drops back. But, I mean, a good enough matchup for Gordon. It's not as good as it was last week against Kansas City. But, um, you know, I think he's a... Uh, Borderline RB2. I'm not super excited about him. 
Yeah, I mean, super excited would be strong, but I think he's probably mid RB2 range for me, uh, given the the current landscape. Tim Patrick would be my top play among Broncos receivers. I mean, obviously, he's not usually going to do that on four targets like he did last week against the Chiefs, but he's been much better in catch efficiency than Jerry Judy all season. Four-plus receptions in four of his past five games. The only one where he didn't have that was the Kendall Hinton game for the year. Four-plus receptions in eight of 11 games for Tim Patrick. And besides that Kendall game, the only other two where he didn't was a game he left early with an injury and back in week two when Cortland Sutton was still in the lineup. Yeah, I'm with you. I think Patrick's the best play among Broncos wide receivers. Jerry Judy, I, th- I think the ankle injury is limiting him. You know, He's been limited in practice for the past couple weeks now. He just has just one catch over the past couple games. So you can't use Jerry Judy. I think Patrick is like a wide receiver four. Yeah, I agree with that. Jerry Judy, as you mentioned, not really an option at this point. It's a solid spot for Noah Fant. He just hasn't approached his ceiling. He's a solid option in most cases, though. Yeah, Carolina sort of a neutral matchup for tight ends. Fant has been you know, steady enough from a volume perspective. Um, he has three plus catches in eight of his last nine games now, which is kind of all you can ask for at tight end. <laughs> yeah, really? He's better than Tyler Eifert. Yep. On the Panthers side, no DJ Moore because of the COVID uh, we'll see about Curtis Samuel. We're guessing that he'll be back because he's just a close contact. So as long as he tests negative the rest of the week, should be back in time for the game. But we'll obviously have to keep an eye on that if you're hoping to use Curtis Samuel. Christian McCaffrey, now <laughs> dealing with a thigh issue, was limited Wednesday, but reportedly didn't practice on Thursday. So this is another injury that we actually have to worry about with him. And we're going to have to watch him through the rest of the week to see if he's going to be able to play. If McCaffrey's out again, it's Mike Davis in in play for fantasy lineups again. The whole offense, though, gets less interesting with no McCaffrey, I think. Yeah, definitely less interesting. I mean, I think it would free up even more targets for Robbie Anderson and Curtis Samuel. So, I mean, assuming DJ Moore doesn't play, he, le- he leaves behind 7.4 targets per game. You know, Robbie Anderson was already locked in as a starter with the type of volume he's seen all season. Curtis Samuel, I mean, he's averaged 6.8 targets per game over his last five, plus 2.2 carries per game. He's the PPR wide receiver five over that span. He's obviously been, been super efficient. There's some regression coming there, but you know, seven targets per game, throwing DJ Moore's absence, um, throwing a really banged up Broncos secondary. I think Curtis Samuel is a nice wide receiver three play this week. Mm-hmm. And Robbie Anderson, of course, in lineups, target ceiling only rises with DJ Moore out. Yep. Indianapolis Colts at the Las Vegas Raiders Colts by two and a half in this one, a 51 and a half point over under Jonathan Taylor did what we hoped last week. He only got 13 carries, but he took them for 91 yards added 44 yards and a touchdown on three catches, 90 plus rushing yards in two straight games now. And he's had terrific receiving efficiency all year. Really has caught 29 of 30 targets. He's averaging 9.3 yards per catch. Gets another positive rushing matchup here against the Raiders. Jonathan Taylor looking like a strong option. Yeah. I mean, I think his, his breakout was sort of interrupted by that COVID absence, but I, I think the last two games have been his best two games of the season. The usage still isn't like elite. He has um, 35 of 56 running back carries over the last two games. That's 63%. Seven of 17 RB targets, 41%. You know, he's played 55 and 48% of the snaps. So he's still in a committee, but he's been the leader of the committee the last two weeks. If he keeps playing as well as he has, I think he'll remain in the lead. And, you know, the Raiders now down to dead last in football outsiders run defense, DVOA. They're 29th in adjusted points allowed two running backs. So it's another excellent matchup for Taylor. Naheem Hines, meanwhile, just nine touches for the second time in three games last week. Did score a touchdown. That's always a possibility for him. He's more in that mix than you would expect a running back his size to be. So, I mean, if that's the kind of player that helps you, then uh, it's a fine matchup for Naheem Hines here. I wouldn't drop Naheem Hines for somebody like Ty Johnson, but that's about the nicest thing I can say for him. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, I guess that'd be close. I'm not going to spend too much time thinking about Hines versus Ty Johnson. But, um, yeah, I mean, ju- just 12 carries and seven targets for Hines in the last two games alongside Jonathan Taylor. I mean, this game has a close spread. Um, so, you know, maybe game strip ends up helping Naheem Hines here. The Raiders have allowed the ninth most running back catches, the seventh most running back receiving yards. So it's a pretty good matchup for Hines. Um, you know, his, his uh, volume projection just takes a hit with Jonathan Taylor back. T.Y. Hilton comes off, uh, I don't know if we call it a breakout or what, but <laughs> a huge game last week to face another fine matchup against the Raiders this week. So, I mean, T.Y. Hilton, a safer option this week than he's probably been all year, or at least more comfortable. I shouldn't say safe, more comfortable. Yeah, and I mean, two weeks ago, I wasn't totally buying it because it came on like five targets. Um, you know, last week he actually got the volume. It, w- it was just his third game all season with more than six targets. Um but Hillen does lead Michael Pittman in targets and air yards over the last four weeks. So, you know, it seems like T.Y. sort of reemerged as Indy's number one wide receiver. The matchup is good here. I'm not going crazy with T.Y., but I think, you know, he's fine as a wide receiver three, again, in, in what you know should be a pretty winnable matchup. Right. Anything else on the Colts side? Pittman is sort of tailed off, and the tight ends you still have to kind of ignore just because they're using Burton and Mo Cox kind of in a 50-50 committee. It's a fine spot for Philip Rivers. I feel more yeah. comfortable with him than Jared Goff, but I mean, he's not inside the top 12. Yeah, exactly. On the Raiders side, a much worse matchup for everyone than it was last week against the Jets. Darren Waller is obviously still a starter, but he's really the only Raider I would feel good about starting this week. And I feel good is relative because this is a negative matchup for tight end scoring against the Colts. Yeah, um, I mean, Nelson Aguilar had 11 targets last week. He was like top five in the NFL in air yards, um, you know, didn't produce anything on it. So he, he's still the best play among Raiders wide receivers. But as you said, it's a pretty tough matchup against the Colts. So don't don't love him. Yeah, there is some upside in Nelson Aguilar at this point, though. 26 targets over his past three games. You mentioned the 11 targets last week, despite coming into that game with a knee issue that yep. cost him most of the practice time. So I think he's similar to Tim Patrick and Curtis Samuel this week. I think I'd go Curtis Samuel ahead of Nelson Aguilar, but I think I'd play Aguilar over uh, Tim Patrick. He's also tied for ninth league-wide in end zone targets this season as Aguilar. Yeah, I'm with you. I'd play Aguilar over Patrick. Um, to, to me, Samuel's kind of like a tier above those guys, assuming DJ Moore is out. I would play DJ Chark, though, over all four, of the, all three of those guys. Me too. Uh, Devontae Booker, a volume play in Gio Bernard range, but um, the matchup is worse than Gio Bernard's. Josh yeah. Jacobs does not look like he's back. So Devontae Booker is an option, but I wouldn't call him more than that. Yeah, I would actually prefer Gio Bernard. Um, you know, Booker's usage kind of disappointing last week, just 42% of the snaps, only a 22% route rate. You know, that was, you know, he lost a lot of passing down work to Jalen Richard and a little bit to Theo Riddick even. New York Jets at the Seattle Seahawks. Seahawks by 13 and a half, over under 46. Of course, we've seen a New York City team go to Seattle as heavy underdogs and win recently. We'll see if we can watch it in back-to-back weeks. No Denzel Mims, though, for the Jets this week. So excuse Jared for a little crying fit now. Personal issue and an injury Denzel Mims is dealing with. That helps the target outlooks for Jamison Crowder and Brashad Perriman. I'm not strongly considering Perriman at this stage of the season. He has three games all year in which he has topped three receptions. He had one catch for 22 yards on four targets against the Raiders last week. Perriman would be in like the Nelson Aguilar, Tim Patrick range for me. Um, I, I think there's upside here in this matchup. I mean, Seattle's D has been better, I, I think, especially since acquiring Carlos Dunlap. It's helped the pass rush. Still a beatable secondary, though. I mean, P- Perriman was 13th in air yards per game over the last four weeks alongside Denzel Mims. So I mean, he is getting those deep shots like Mims. There, there's upside there. Um, obviously not safe. J- Jameson Crowder is still the best bet here. I think 
you know, the game two weeks ago kind of got me off him, even though Crowder had been awesome alongside Sam Darnold. And, you know, he, he's had three good games now alongside alongside Sam Darnold, averaging almost nine targets per game in four outings with Darnold. So, you know, he, he's still um, pretty clearly the best bet among Jets wide receivers. Yeah, I would play all the other guys that we've been talking about over Brashad Perriman because he's a Jet and just hasn't been producing this year. But I agree with Jameson Crowder. I mean, the, the fantasy line last week is inflated by the two touchdowns, just five catches for 47 yards on seven targets overall. Playing time was down versus the previous two games, but I think that they're likely to be chasing Seattle more in this game than they were the Raiders last week. The slot has been an issue on defense for Seattle all season. I mean, they have been better on defense lately, but really just the pass rush has improved. The pass defense DVOA has remained quite poor, so it's not a matchup to be scared of. It's a high ceiling spot for Crowder this week for sure, I think. Agreed. I'd have to be pretty hard up to play anything from the backfield, though, unless Frank Gore is back. I mean... I'm not saying he's a strong option, but Frank Gore would at least be like right with Gio Bernard if he's ready to return from the concussion. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I think, though, if Gore's out, I don't really see a ton of difference between Ty Johnson and Frank Gore. I mean, I think Ty Johnson looks like he's going to play a similar role to what Gore has been playing. I would say the difference is that Frank Gore has been delivering for 27 years and Ty Johnson has delivered yeah. for us one time. Yeah, exactly. Frank Gore is also 40 years old. And Ty jo- I, mean, Ty- I think Ty Johnson's an interesting player. <laughs> I, I don't know. Detroit seems to disagree. The Jets have seemed to disagree so far. Yeah, he's, a, he's a running back. They get tossed around. I don't think Ty Johnson is all that interesting. I think he's all set to really let people down this week. So I hope that Frank Gore comes back to steal that opportunity from him. Yeah, I mean, he could definitely let you down. He's a running back for the Jets. You know, the Seahawks are actually pretty solid against the run. So not a great spot. I just think Ty Johnson's going to get 15 touches if Gore doesn't play this week. Oh, let's hope for the Jets that's not the case. Mm-hmm. On the Seahawks side, you just play everybody. And, I mean, that can even include Will Disley and Jacob Hollister as Hail Mary types at tight end alongside some of the other guys that we mentioned earlier. Five targets for Will Disley last week, four for Hollister. The week before, Hollister had five targets. I'm not saying either is a good play, yeah. but if you're looking, if you're desperate enough that you're like, God, is there anything on the waiver wire that can help me this week? And one of those guys is sitting there, I mean, toss them in because they could score a touchdown. Yes, and I would prefer Hollister. He has more pass routes and more targets than Will Disley over the last two weeks. So assuming they're both available, I'd go Hollister. I, I'd play Hollister over who, who the guys we talked about, Drew Sample, Tyler Eifer, just because just you know Hollister has a lot more upside playing in this Seahawks offense. Yes, I would agree with that as well. Washington at San Francisco 49ers, Niners by three, over under a 43 and a half. I'd go back to Terry McLaurin. It's tough when you're the clear best player in a weak offense going against a good defense. So we can't really fault him for disappearing against Pittsburgh on Monday night. He was also, he's still limited Wednesday with the ankle issue that made him questionable on Monday. So, I mean, he's playing through that, but he played his usual snap share against Pittsburgh. So it doesn't seem like a a real concern. Yeah. And he played through the ankle on, it was Thanksgiving, right? Against Dallas and produced Mm -hmm. fine in that game. It's another tough matchup here. And he's going to see, I guess, either Richard Sherman or Jason Brett on the outside. They've, you know, both, had good season, but but I mean McLaurin five plus catches in six straight games prior to last week. He had seven catches in five of those six games. He's he's just been too steady all season to bench now. And another surprising thing from that game, well, I guess a more surprising thing was Logan Thomas seemed to be running open quite a bit. So I mean he had a big game in what was a negative matchup going yeah. in. But I, I there were a lot of times where there was not a defender nearby him. I think he's a more comfy play this week than I would have expected coming off of that Pittsburgh game. This is another negative matchup, but 
I wouldn't, I would try not to overrate Logan Thomas based on that game against Pittsburgh, which is an outlier versus the rest of his season. Yeah. I mean, to me, he's still a floor play, but he's a decent floor play. And he's been giving you three, four or five catches a game for, you know, the past couple months now. It's interesting. I think the Steelers linebacking injuries have caught up to them between Devin Bush and then they lost Spillane in that game. I think Pittsburgh might not be as tough a tight end matchup the rest of the way as it has been so far. J.D. McKissick, a top 20 PPR option because he's going to catch plenty of passes as long as Antonio Gibson's out. In PPR, I would play McKissick over players such as Gio Bernard and probably Cam Akers. I wouldn't play him over Akers. I I think I'd play him over Bernard. I don't know. I mean, McKissick still is a little floor. I, I I hate guys like him who just rely on the catches. Like he, you're not going to get much of him, much from him on the ground. But I mean, you know, he had ten targets last week, caught all of them. Um, you know, the the Washington RBs have been super involved in the passing game all season. Now it's just going to be McKissick handling all of that with Gibson out. So I mean, he, he's a he's a fine PPR play. They do also hand him the ball some. I know he's not a, a big rushing threat, but he does get the ball on the ground. It's not like it's yeah. Peyton Barber and him splitting the job evenly. The other thing is I think McKissick is a much safer bet for those receptions than most guys in a similar role. I mean, I think he's a very good bet for five catches this week, and another 10 is within reach. Yeah, probably. I mean, I just, if Washington gets out to a lead here and is playing with the lead throughout the game, which I, I don't know if I expect, but it's not crazy against San Francisco. I think, you know, you're going to see more Peyton Barber than, than you want to. I would definitely bet against Washington playing from ahead in this game. You just beat the Steelers. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> they, they weren't playing ahead from ahead in that one either, though. I mean, it's not like they dominated them. Anyway. No, I mean, I, I, yeah, I agree. I think because it is a, is a good target bet and catch bet here. On the 49ers side, it's a worse passing matchup than the Buffalo defense was on Monday night. So Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk are still certainly in play. Ayuk has been particularly good lately. He's caught five-plus passes, 75-plus yards in four straight games. He scored in three straight and scored in four of his past five games. Ran just five fewer routes than Debo did against the Bills last week. They look pretty even to me as fantasy options. I think both kind of in that low wide receiver two range. Yeah, Ayuk's been really good. Four straight top 20 half PPR finishes. Debo's been good too, though. In his five full games this season, he's averaging 8.2 targets, six catches per game, 71 receiving yards per game. Um, in their five games together now, Debo and Ayuk, Debo has 31 targets, Ayuk has 30 targets. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think they're similar fantasy options. I think they're, you know, low end wide receiver two, high end wide receiver three is even against a pretty tough Washington pass defense. Yeah. Backfield, by the way, is a mess for projecting fantasy outlook. At least it might be fine for real life. It might be exactly what Kyle Shanahan wants it to be, but it's a mess. If you're trying to figure out who to use in fantasy, Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson look like the top two. I don't know who's the better bet between them though. I mean, Jeff Wilson looked like the preferred receiver and the preferred goal line option against Buffalo. Raheem Mostert is obviously always in the mix at the front of the backfield. We're all kind of guessing how things get distributed. And then you know, maybe we get more Tevin Coleman in his second game back. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that'd that be the problem. At least last week, the good thing was it was just a two-man committee. Um, Tevin Coleman and Jarek McKinnon combined for just six snaps and two carries. So if it's just Wilson and Mostert, you know, they're both still options as running back threes. I, I would still bet on Mostert. Like, he's been the guy for Shanahan when healthy. I was surprised to see I still think Mostert is the best option, but you know it's it's still a Kyle Shanahan backfield. We're always kind of guessing. Right. I would play Mostert first, but it's certainly not comfortable. I would not watch the game if I can help it. Yeah. 
Jordan Reed, a low floor, low ceiling option, did play a season high snap share last week, but it was the exact same number of snaps that he played in each of the previous two games. Exactly 31 snaps now in three straight contests. Exactly 31 snaps and exactly 25 pass routes for Reed. You know, he must be on a strict limit there. Um, yeah, he has 5.3 targets per game over the last three, and this is a good matchup. Washington's 26th in Football Outsiders tight end coverage rankings. So I think Reed is a is a decent uh, spot start option this week. Yeah, I'll certainly give him decent. He's like a pitcher coming off of Tommy John surgery, where even if he's got a no-hitter going, they're taking him out in the fifth. <laughs> yeah. No thanks, by the way, on Nick Mullins, just in case anybody was wondering, coming off his QB11 finish last week. Nope. Atlanta Falcons at Los Angeles Chargers. Falcons by two and a half. That's up half a point from where it opened. Over-under is 49 and a half. To me, that seems a little bit low. Uh, the Falcons games have averaged 51.1 points for the season. Uh, just a median of 47 and a half, though. They've had some struggles lately, especially when Julio Jones has been out. Yeah. Chargers games, meanwhile, have averaged 53.9 total points since Justin Herbert stepped into the lineup. A median of 57. So at the very least there is the upside for lots of points in this game. Yeah, this is definitely my DFS game of the week. You know, we'll see how popular it is, but I, I, I like this game to go over. Um, yeah, the Chargers have allowed 27-plus points in nine straight games now, giving up an average of 32 points per game over that span. You know, Matt, Matt Ryan's been disappointing. He hasn't finished as a top-12 fantasy quarterback since week eight now, but you know, he'd been missing Julio Jones for a lot of that time. You know, he had two tough matchup, matchups against the Saints, over that span. Now he gets the Chargers 27th in adjusted points allowed to quarterback. So I think it's a good bounce back spot for Matt Ryan this week. I think he's he's a quarterback one option. And I think of the lack of a run game probably helps his fantasy upside. It might be bad for the offense overall. We'll see. But I think it helps his fantasy upside. He doesn't climb into the range, though, of guys like Ryan Tannehill, Kirk Cousins, Tom Brady, Taysom Hill for me. No, but he, he's right behind those guys ahead of, I don't know, the Derek Carr kind of territory this week. Yeah, Matt Ryan and Matthew Stafford look basically identical. Falcons, by the way, are coming off their two two of their three best DVO ratings on DVOA ratings on defense all year versus the Raiders and the rematch with the Saints. They're playing the run much tougher than the pass, though. Uh, the Chargers' defense has stunk versus the pass and the run lately. So again, great spot for both offenses. It's not worth talking about Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones. Hayden Hurst is a nice option this week, though. He's been just fine lately when not facing the Saints. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. One catch in two games against the Saints, but he has four plus catches in five straight games. Otherwise, um, the Chargers 27th in football outsiders tight end coverage rankings, 26th in adjusted points allowed to tight end. So I think, you know, Hurst is a top 12 option this week. And the Falcons backfield was a straight committee with Todd Gurley back on the field last week. We'll see about Gurley's progression through practice this week. He was limited on Wednesday, at least, so not sitting out to start the week like he has in other recent weeks. If he puts in a full practice before the weekend, maybe I'll be interested, yeah. but I would rather just avoid this backfield. Me too. I mean, I'd, I'd rather play Gio Bernard and J.D. McKissick over Gurley this week. <laughs> I'm going to leave that where it is. Mm-hmm. On the Chargers side, it's alarming that they're coming off a floor week at Buffalo and then a basement week against New England. But to me, this looks exactly like the Raiders playing the Jets last week where I had my concerns with Derek Carr going into the game and he wound up QB1 in fantasy for the week because of that matchup. Herbert has even more around him than Derek Carr does. The Falcons present the league's friendliest scoring matchup still for quarterbacks by our fantasy point, by our adjusted fantasy points allowed. I think that not even Anthony Lynn should be able to screw them up. (laughs) 
Yeah, I've I've already spent too much time this week like overthinking the Chargers offense. Like I guess I guess as a you know DFS plays, I think you're starting you know these guys, uh, Justin Herbert, uh, Hunter Henry, Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen in season long. I mean Herbert hasn't been great for a little while now. He was only averaging 6.2 yards per attempt over his last five games, but I mean the, the matchup is just so good. Um, even if Atlanta has been a bit better lately, I mean they are up to 19th in uh, Football Outsiders pass defense. DVOA, but I, I I think it's a great bounce back spot for Herbert. I think um, Mike Williams is in play this week too. Um, you know he, he's a boom bust guy, but Atlanta thirty first in adjusted points allowed to wide receivers. So the, you know this could definitely be a boom week for Mike Williams. Yeah, I think Williams is a strong wide receiver three this week. I mean we know that he's volatile. Most wide receivers are fairly volatile. I mean we've yeah. seen AJ Brown be all over the place. For example, the targets have been fairly stable for Mike Williams. He's been between five and nine targets in six straight games. Now he's tied for ninth among all players with 10 end zone targets on the season, just two touchdowns among those though. So that shows you some of the um, touchdown upside that could be there in his fantasy line this week. So I agree with the matchup. I think he's a strong wide receiver three play. Yep. Me too. Green Bay Packers at Detroit Lions Packers by seven and a half down one from where it opened over under a 55 and a half. So we're expecting plenty of points here. It's obviously a great spot for Aaron Rodgers, obviously a great spot for Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones. It might seem like a spot for Jamal Williams, but his playing time last week fell to his second second lowest snap share of the season after that um, 17 carry outing against the Bears. Yeah, I mean, I think he's a fringe option um, in like deeper. Like I, I would prefer like Geo and McKissick over Williams just because of the locked-in volume. But I mean, it is such a good spot for Green Bay's offense, for Green Bay's running game. I mean, if Williams gets 10 touches, he could have he could have a nice game here. Yeah, he's a Latavius Murray type play here, I think. Yeah. He sandwiched that 17 carry game with seven and six touches. Um, so, you know, you just have to know the, the range of possible outcomes for Williams. It's more likely that he gets 10 or fewer than that he gets 15 plus. Yeah. Uh, the other guys I think to consider, Alan Lazard versus Marquez Valdez-Scantling. For me, it's Lazard. He's been leading MVS in targets despite playing fewer snaps since returning from his injury. Playing time climbed last week, so he was at least close to MVS there and well ahead of Equinemia St. Brown. Yeah, exactly. Um, 72% route rate for Lazard last week, his highest since coming back from injury. MVS was down to 75%. I wouldn't be surprised if Lazard passes MVS this week. I mean, Aaron Rodgers just still still does not like throwing to Marquez Valdez scaling. So it's definitely Lazard is the better play. I mean, I think he's in wide receiver three range just because we expect the Packers to score so much in this game. And then Robert Tunyon, I mean, most tight ends that get like five targets a game would be mid to low tight end two range. But for him, if you're going to catch four and a half of them every week and score a touchdown more often than not, he's a pretty good bet. Exactly. I was going to say, I mean, he's in for some regression, but I'm not, I'm not going to predict it, especially in this matchup against Detroit. Right, and especially the way tight end is right now, where you talk about Drew Sample and Tyler Eifert. <laughs> exactly. On the Lions' side, an abnormally big day against the Bears last week, but it was also the fourth game among the past five with at least 370 total yards. The third time among their past four games where they scored at least 25 points. The Lions still, though, just 19th in total points, 19th in total yards in the league for the season. So, like I said, Matthew Stafford looks very similar to Matt Ryan, um, not inside the top 12 and not quite as good a matchup for him as Matt Ryan has against the Chargers this week. So Matt, Matt Stafford's okay. We got that bounce for the Lions offense with Matt Patricia finally gone. That's it's definitely a thing when these coaches are fired. The team kind of, you know, plays with more pep the next week. Sta- Stafford, though, he 
got more aggressive with Patricia gone. Um, 13.8 yard average depth of throw last week. That was up from 8.7 yards in his first 11 games. Um, his percentage of passes, 20 plus yards downfield, basically doubled from 10 to 20% from the first 11 games to last week. So that was good to see him play more aggressively. Um, yeah, the Packers are kind of a neutral matchup for passing games, but you know, this game should be high scoring. Stafford should be playing from behind. It's indoors. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I think he's there with Ryan as, like, a borderline quarterback one play this week. Thank goodness they finally shed that anchor Marvin Hall to really open up the passing game, too, and get it downfield to guys like Danny Amendola and Mohamed Sanu. Um, <laughs> Kenny Galladay still not practicing Wednesday with his hip injury. Marvin Jones, certainly an easy play. TJ Hawkinson, an easy play off of three straight games of 68-plus yards, two straight of 80 receiving yards. He'll see the end zone again at some point, I'm guessing. Hope so, Yeah. <laughs> We might even get DeAndre Swift back on the field this week. I, I mean, I don't, I haven't checked the cemetery to see if he's returned from there yet, but still limited Wednesday coming off his illness. Got to think that he'll be ready to play after missing that game. Um, and it, this would be in a matchup that propelled David Montgomery two weeks ago, even with the Bears getting blown out. Yeah, Swift, Swift's strange. I mean, he had the concussion. He got clear. Then he missed practices last week with illness. And he's still limited on Wednesday with illness. Like you don't see guys, you know, dealing with an illness for a week. So. Kind of weird. Um, you know, Daryl Bevel said last week that Swift was going to be limited even if he played because of the mispractice time. Like, I don't know. We're going to have to see what we hear over the next couple of days. I mean, Swift obviously had the breakout game last time we saw him. Matchup is great here against the Packers. So there's upside there. I, I just I, I just want to know that he's you know going to be at least back to something close to the type of role he was in last time we saw him. Yeah, I'll have to see what the man flu does to him this week. <laughs> yeah. New Orleans Saints at the Philadelphia Eagles. Saints by seven, over under 44. We'll start with the non-story here. The Eagles defense is the highest rated versus the run that Taysom Hill will have faced in what would be his fourth start. Of course, before we get to that game, we'll see whether Drew Brees can prove that he's ready to play again. Sounds more like week 15 return for him, though. Yeah, I expected to be Taysom Hill again. I mean, he's averaging 11 carries and 59 rushing yards per game in his three starts now. And the Eagles, by the way, they're a good run defense. They gave up a season-high 108 rushing yards to Lamar Jackson. Gave up two big rushing days to Daniel Jones. Um, so they, they have struggled containing rushing quarterbacks. So I think Taysom Hill still has a nice rushing floor. Um, you know, the passing matchup is, is pretty good. You know, it's kind of similar to what he faced in Atlanta two of the last three weeks. So I, I think Hill's a you know, pretty easy top-10 quarterback play this week. Yeah, I mean, I think there's still more downside risk to him than it seems like after he's played Atlanta twice and, I mean, faced a Denver team that really had no chance based on what was going on with them during the week. But I certainly can't argue with Taysom Hill being inside the top 12. Michael Thomas has seen 38% target share over Hill's three games, nine catches, over 100 yards in two of those games. Not only makes him a terrific play, it also hurts the upside of the other Saints receivers because they forget what the ball looks like. Yeah, it's still Michael Thomas and no one else in the wide receiver core. Darius Slay, he's dealing with injury. I think he might miss this game even, which would obviously you know boost Thomas's matchup. Slay is the only good corner the Eagles have. Seems like he probably should coming off calf and then knee injuries. Uh, Alvin Kamara reclaimed the backfield lead last week. 15 carries to Latavius Murray's five against the Falcons. His playing time was up, so it seems like the foot's probably in better shape. Murray, I think, is still a fringe option. Mentioned before, kind of in the same vein as Jamal Williams, although I think a bit more touch upside and more likely um, touches for Latavius Murray based on how the season has gone to this point than for Williams. I mean, the five carries for Murray last week were a season low for him. 
Yeah, I mean, I think he's like a fringy RB3. Um, yeah, I mean, Kamara, it was nice to see the increased rushing work. Still only ran a route on 44% of Hill's dropbacks. You know, saw three of the five running back targets. That was a bit better than he saw the, the previous few Taysom Hill starts. So he's trending in the right direction. You're, you're starting him in season long. But he's still not, you know, like a, a top five RB play. Yeah, it doesn't look like the receptions are coming back until Drew Brees does. At least that's right. at least that's pending. We'll see. Yep. On the Eagles side, I love Jalen Hurts as a long-term fantasy prospect. I wish he had landed somewhere else, any number of other places. I am not anywhere close to touching him outside of a 2QB or Superflex league this week against the league's number two defense in DVOA. Yeah, just a brutal matchup for Jalen Hurts. Um, Yeah, the Saints second in both pass D, DVOA, and run defense DVOA. They're fourth in adjusted points allowed two quarterbacks. Vegas isn't um, optimistic about the Eagles with the 18.5 point implied total for uh, Philly here. So yeah, um, I, I don't think Hertz is a quarterback one spot start option. I think there are a bunch of better options this week. I mean, I, I think he's going to give you a nice rushing production. I don't think he's like a 80 plus yard rushing guy. I think he's going to give you, you know, 30 to 50 yards. Mm. I mean, he certainly has the upside to do that because he could break long ones at any point, but there's so much wrong with the offense that betting on something good happening is just not a good bet at this stage of the fantasy season. If you really want to bet on Jalen Hurts in some fashion this week, then go do a DFS lineup with him. Yeah, I agree. Dallas Goddard, really the only Eagle I'm seriously considering this week. The Saints are up to second in tight end coverage, though, according to Football Outsiders, and Dallas Goddard's route rate dipped from 100% the previous two games to just 65% last week with Zach Ertz back on the field. And again, we mentioned the QB switch. We'll see what that means for Dallas Goddard. So at the very least, he's not a safe option this week. Yeah, matchup and the quarterback change knocks Goddard from like a top five tight end play to like a low end tight end one. I would play Hayden Hurst, Hunter Henry, um, Evan Ingram over him. I would play Robert Murkowski over him. Yeah, Henry, Ingram, and Gronk for sure. Goddard and Hurst are in the same territory for me. Miles Sanders has been awful, both from a usage and production standpoint, in two straight matchups that were much better than this matchup against New Orleans is. So Miles Sanders, with a tear in my eye, will be on my bench this week. Yeah, I mean, the only reason for potential optimism is, like, we've seen rushing quarterbacks like Jalen Hurts help running backs. Um, You know, we'll see if it happens with Sanders. Um, I I would rather, you know, have him on my bench and find out and potentially go back to him next week. Yeah, we've also seen those rushing quarterbacks be bad for the receiving upside. And even even Taysom Hill can bring down Alvin Kamara in that mm-hmm. category. So overall, I'm not yeah. I'm not giving uh, Miles Sanders a boost for Jalen Hurts entering the lineup. I'm playing in PPR. I'm playing J.D. McKissick over Miles Sanders. No, I mean, you're right about Jalen Hurts potentially hurting the rushing or the receiving stuff. I mean, Sanders hasn't been doing anything in the passing game anyway, so tough, tough to hurt it. All right, let's move away from that game because I don't want to talk about it anymore. It's going to make me angry. <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers at the Buffalo Bills on Sunday night. Bills by two and a half, over under 46. To me, that one seems low too for a couple of high-powered offenses. The Steelers offense disappointed against Washington. Washington sits third in pass defense DVOA though. Buffalo sits 14th in that category. Just allowed Nick Mullins a QB 11 finish. So I'm going to be back to playing most of my Pittsburgh passing game pieces here. Yeah, I am too. Um, it's it's worth no. I mean, it's worth noting this. That was the Steelers' third game in twelve days against Washington. This will be their fourth game in eighteen days. You know, they've been impacted by a lot of the COVID stuff. So just interesting, especially with someone like Big Ben on the older side coming off the elbow issue. Um, and the Steelers, they, they need to run the ball at least a bit more, and they need to get to throwing downfield a bit more. Everything is just so short, and I think defenses are starting to catch up 
with that. I mean, it's been okay for guys like Juju and Deontay Johnson because, you know, they're getting enough volume. Chase Claypool is the interesting question here. What do you do with him? He kind of inexplicably out of nowhere dropped a fourth on the depth chart last week behind James Washington, who ran more pass routes in that game against Washington. So I don't know. Would you feel comfortable going back to Chase Claypool? I mean, it really depends on who I'm weighing him against. I would play Mike Williams over Chase Claypool this week. Yeah, I think I would too. So, I mean, if we're getting to the bottom of, of wide receiver three territory, I would play Chase Claypool over Antonio Brown. I don't know if I would, honestly. I, I mean, if, if I knew if I knew Claypool was going to be back in the role he had been for the past, you know, two months, I easily would. But I'm just I don't I don't know what Pittsburgh's doing right now. Yeah, it would certainly be close, but I th- I think there's a better chance of Pittsburgh throwing 45 plus passes in this game, which would probably push me in that direction. Certainly wouldn't be a comfy decision either way there. Good thing for that need to run the ball more is James Connors off the COVID list. You know, as you said, they need to run the ball more whether they want to or not because they got to get some more diversification in this offense. I would I would imagine we'll see a rebound in usage. We're obviously just guessing until we actually see it because James Conner had been disappointing even before hitting the COVID list. Fortunately for him, Benny Snell didn't offer a whole lot in his absence and Buffalo is vulnerable against their own. Yeah, I mean, I expect Connor to be back as the clear lead back here. But again, with Pittsburgh throwing at such a high rate, I mean, Connor had only averaged 12.5 carries per game over his last four, even as the clear lead back. So, you know, he he's like an RB3 to me, and we'll sort of see if Pittsburgh starts running it more now that it has Connor back. He'd be low in RB2 range for me, and then I, there are probably guys ahead of him in our rankings that I would take a shot on Connor over just because of the upside, both in the player and the offense, as well as the matchup. Eric yep. Ebron is going to be hard to avoid after two straight games of 11 targets and seven catches. This matchup, though, not weighted in his favor the same way that Washington and Baltimore the, the were the past two weeks. Buffalo can be tougher on tight ends. It's easier on wide receivers. And most importantly, Matt Milano, their linebacker, returned from IR on Monday night. He's been key in tight end coverage, played just 31% of the snaps in that game. But I would imagine we'll see more playing time for Milano in this game. So it makes the tight end matchup a little tougher. And of course, Eric Ebron is really the toughest matchup for Eric Ebron. <laughs> yeah, he, he's had his drops as Ebron always does, but the volume has been so good. I mean, he has 11 targets in two straight games. He's averaging a little over eight targets per game over his last five. Um, I, I agree the matchup is tougher now with Milano back than it looks like on paper. But you know, j- just based on volume alone, I think Ebron's a pretty easy fantasy starter. Yeah, it's basically the DeAndre Hopkins situation where you're probably yeah. not sitting him, but if you have a couple of really – like if you have Mark Andrews and Eric Ebron, I'm easily going back to Mark Andrews. Yep, agreed. Um, on the Bills' side, Josh Allen has to start. The Steelers are vulnerable against the pass, as they've showed us at times. Um, I, I, we have Josh Allen high enough in the rankings that I doubt there's really much to discuss here. Yep, agreed. Cole Beasley, I think, is a fairly easy start coming off of last week because – the Steelers are a bad matchup for rushing because Buffalo has showed us they don't care that much about rushing. And because Cole Beasley reminded us of his upside last week. I mean, he had that one poor game two weeks ago. But other than that, um, six plus catches in four of his five games without John Brown, averaging eight targets per game over that span. So, yeah, I, I think Beasley is a nice fantasy play this week. Gabriel Davis can be in play, but he's really a boom bust guy and has been seeing low target volume. So, I would say like a boom bust wide receiver five level. Yeah, has scored in two straight, but it's come on just three catches and four targets. So yeah, boom bust wide receiver four sounds right. I mean, it's possible that Buffalo throws the ball 40 times and it's possible that Gabe Davis sees eight targets within that. Right. But I mean, that's going to be something we know once the game starts. Yep. 
no thanks on anything in the Buffalo backfield as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm, ass- I'm assuming Zach Moss will get back in the mix. He was he was basically benched last week after that fumble inside, you know, the Bills' own 10-yard line. I, I think we'll be back to a 50-50 committee this week against a tough Steelers run defense. So, yeah, I would try to avoid both Moss and Singletary. And frankly, even if we're not, even if we get Devin Singletary leading the backfield, I mean, it's a Gio Bernard-type situation, yeah. or Devontae Booker maybe even. Baltimore Ravens at Cleveland Browns to close us out on Monday night. The Ravens by one over under 46 and a half. J.K. Dobbins returned to action on Tuesday, led the backfield with 11 carries, put up a nice 71 yards, albeit against that generous Cowboys defense. But Gus Edwards also carried seven times. Mark Ingram carried six times. Gus Edwards ran for 101 yards, played 18 snaps to Dobbins' 21. So it's not... J.K. Dobbins clearly leading this backfield. And really, for the Ravens, there's no reason for them to overcommit to Dobbins as far as playing time goes at this point in the season. Yeah, I wish they'd at least phase out Ingram a bit and just go with Dobbins and, and Gus Iris, who have looked like their two best backs all season. I don't know. I guess I'm a little optimistic that they were easing Dobbins in a bit in his first game back from the COVID list. I mean, he did kind of have that quasi breakout his last time. So I don't know. He's still the best bet in this backfield. You can't you know, expect 20 carries, but even, you know, 14, 15 carries, um, you know, with his talent in this offense, I think makes him a fine fantasy play this week. Yes. He's better than Cam Akers in terms of situation and what we can expect touch wise and that he's already at least seen some yeah. of the receiving usage that we hope Cam Akers gets. Yeah. I, I think they're similar. Honestly, it's me. I, I would rank them similarly. I think J.K. Dobbins is a much better bet just for his team's commitment to the run and for what he's put on tape for us so far. That's fair. All right. Mark Andrews, as I mentioned, back from the COVID list. Terrific matchup for him. It's also a great spot for Lamar Jackson. Yeah, um, Lamar Jackson has been awesome against the Browns um, passing. You know, he's obviously done the rushing stuff too, but he has three touchdowns, actually, three passing touchdowns in three straight games against the Browns now. So he's a nice play. To Mark Andrews, he's back. He had had two big games prior to hitting the COVID list, 16 total targets in those games. Um, Brown's 30th in adjusted points allowed tight end. So Andrews is an elite fantasy play. Marquise Brown has eight targets in two straight games. I know those of course have come without Mark Andrews. So, um, you know, good matchup against the Browns missing their top two corners still. Um, you know, we saw Brown make um, a, a big play in a couple games in a row now, but um, at this point I still wouldn't want to trust him, but you know, there's, there's upside in, in this matchup, especially. Yeah, Marquise Brown is certainly not inside of wide receiver three range, but um, he did post a five for 101 yards on six targets against the Browns back in week one. The secondary is even more vulnerable now. Denzel Ward has yet to practice still since injuring his calf, so seems like he's probably not coming back this week. We'll see for sure. Still issues at safety for Cleveland as well. So, I mean, it's definitely a setting to get Marquise Brown involved down the field. You know, whether they will is anybody's guess at this point. Of course, before those past two games, he had four straight games where he totaled five receptions. So we know what the ceiling and floor on him are at this point. I would take a shot on Marquise Brown this week over players such as Brashad Perriman, Christian Kirk, Jacoby Myers, and probably both Bengals receivers. I like Brashad Perriman more than you do. I'd go Perriman over Brown. <laughs> you definitely like Brashad Perriman more than I do. <laughs> I, I think that Marquise Brown looks similar to Tim Patrick this week. I would say there's a higher ceiling on Brown, but a lower floor. Yep, I agree with that. On the Brown side, Baker Mayfield's coming off his best game of the year, maybe his career to this point. Um, <laughs> but he has eight career touchdown passes versus seven interceptions across five meetings with the Ravens. So 
not this week for me on Baker. Right. Those last two games have come against the 29th and 31st ranked quarterback defenses. Now he gets Baltimore, who is you know just 16th. They're not you know totally impossible to pass on, but it's it's a much tougher matchup than Baker has faced the last two weeks. He, he's he's not a quarterback one option. Jarvis Landry, though, is at least a fairly easy start off two straight eight-catch games. He has now played Baltimore nine times in his career, dating back to his Miami stint. Um, Landry has fallen short of five receptions just once in those nine games. He's been over 60 receiving yards in each of his five meetings with the Ravens as a Cleveland Brown. Yep, 30% target share for Landry in five games without Odell Beckham. So even you're just based on volume alone, he's he's a fantasy starter. Both Browns running backs are in play, but I don't think it's a great spot for either one. And the question is, do they still prefer Kareem Hunt as a receiver over Nick Chubb? Yeah, that is the question because Chubb has more pass routes over the past two weeks now. Um, Chubb has four targets to Kareem Hunt's five targets. So that, that's kind of what you were leaning on with Kareem Hunt, especially in this game where the Browns might be playing from behind. But I, I'm I'm not convinced, you know, Hunt's going to be on the field exclusively when they are playing from behind. So, you know, Chubb, Chubb is a starter. He's been playing so well all season. He's the clear lead back here. Um, you know, Kareem Hunt is, like, is like, I guess, like an RB3 option. Yeah, I think he'd still probably be top 25 for me because he, especially, I think especially if they fall behind in this game, Kareem Hunt would factor more into the chase, I believe. Yeah, you'd think, but. Yeah, we'll see for sure. I mean, at week 14, there's much that I think and not so much that I know for sure. Exactly. Anything else in that game? Austin Hooper is still dead. Um, two, five, two, two targets over the last four weeks. Yeah. Only worth mentioning because tight end just doesn't have that many guys that we can actually rely on. Yeah, I mean, he's worth mentioning because I want people not to play Austin Hooper if possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would play Dalton Schultz over Austin Hooper, Hooper pretty easily in a PPR yeah. league. Yeah, me too. And that is where his season is at. After they signed him for a whole bunch of money, by the way. Yep. That's going to do it for this week 14 preview edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now. See our full week 14 rankings, plus all the tools that will help you set your lineups, whether you're fighting through the playoffs or trying to fight your way into them. You can come on back Friday. We will have our weekly DFS podcast right here. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShaufDS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us.